Well, good morning, Babel Love listeners. Here we are, um, the first week of Epiphany, and we thought we would pray some blessings from the Book of Occasional Services about Epiphany. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. May Almighty God, who led the wise men by the shining of a star to find the Christ, the light from light, lead you also in your pilgrimage to find the Lord. May God, who sent the Holy Spirit to rest upon the only begotten at his baptism in the Jordan River, pour out that spirit on you who have come to the waters of new birth. May God, by the power that turned water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana, transform your lives and make glad your hearts. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. We are wrapping up Ruth for um, quick verses that gets through a lot. We've seen a lot already, and this kind of wraps it up nicely. You know, if we go back to what Greg said, this is kind of like a romantic comedy. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's not a tragedy, and so it doesn't end in a very unfulfilling way. It's a romantic comedy. And so well, it is kind of tied up with a bow. The slowness, Alan. We don't normally do this. Yeah. But I'm, I've really feel like we dug, we've been digging deep into Ruth and hopefully some of our listeners like have learned a little bit more about Ruth um, that really has a lot of meaning. Yeah. So. You know, some of these shorter books like this, we'll, we'll be able to do that. But like next, you know, next week we'll do a in general scripture thing. But then like when we jump into first Samuel, we're going to cover like 10 chapters. And so that'll mm-hmm. be another Right. Like it's, it's something we have to do just so we can actually get through the Bible. Um, right. But for these shorter ones, like I look forward to when we have another one. Me too. Right. Like how much, you know, think about 10 years from now when we're in Paul's letters, right. And we get to like Titus or something that's really or, short. Uh, Philemon. Yeah. Right. Which, when it's, way, I didn't even know it was a book of the Bible till I got to seminary. What <laughs> does that say about me? Uh, but like, I yeah. know Missouri Lutheran Synod, like my buddy Alan. <laughs> all right. But you know, that's like 20 something verses or whatever. It's really short. Like, what would it be like to spend a month in that? You know, oh, and we get nice. to do that. Ruth is the shortest book we've had, mm-hmm. and they get longer again. But there is something about, um, you know, word that I've been thinking a lot about is lingering. Right. Like I'm going from place to place so much in my life, either from swim practice to football practice to church stuff to whatever, or just life in general from right. phone to TV to whatever. Like, how do we linger with other people? How do we linger with the word of God? Uh, and we've been able to do that. Yeah, I think that's really important, too. I mean, you know, you're much more introverted than I am. But as an extrovert, I find that hard to do sometimes, like when there's no words happening. You know, I just like want to fill the space or ask questions. And um, I mean, this will be no surprise to anyone who's listening. 
Um, but I think that's so beautiful. Thank We were even kind of talking before and like, I, I was conscious of that. Like we've been in this book that we're getting to sort of linger in. Let me be in that with this conversation with Alan, let me just linger and take it in and not feel like I have to take up space. Um, which is kind of cool that a book of the Bible can teach us something like that, you know? Um, and this is a pretty exciting part because Dun, 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 dun. The wedding happens, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, right? you know, is a theme this week because Sunday we've got, you know, the the wedding feast and Jesus' first miracle. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, we actually get, you know, there's not much in here. There's actually more talk in this chapter about like a business arrangement. Than I know, is, like, right? You know, then like the wedding and the consummation and all of this happens like really quick. Like the main thing is we like, we got to get these elders in here and make sure all of this is legit, which no, but right, like, we as priests sign marriage license. Like there is the legal component and you know, yeah, who it's a little bit less involved today than it was back then. I know Alan. So this morning, okay. I did a wedding this weekend and I don't know if you've done a wedding in South Carolina, but I just got to say it right now. That form is the most confusing dang form <laughs> that ever existed. And now I've done like a few and I'm like, I still don't have this right. I still don't have this right. But I love that's something that we get to do as priests is to officiate at weddings and like what a lovely thing. And who doesn't love a wedding? But you're right. Like this chapter is so much more about the legality sort of of what's going to happen. And it's, and then it's like one little mention of, um, so Boaz took her, wrote Ruth home as his wife. Well, I guess they're married, you know, I yeah. mean, it's not all the pomp and circumstance that, you know, we might see in today's weddings, which is, yeah, which goes to, you know, some of the cultural thing around women as property, which we've yeah. hinted at a lot through a lot of this, but right. So, you know, to jump in here at the beginning of four, yeah. um, you know, no sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down. Then the next of kin, you know, the other guy mm-hmm. um, of whom Boaz had spoken came passing by, right? Here we're in the romantic comedy where, right, when Boaz needs this guy to show up, he wanders into the scene. There he is. So Boaz says, come over here, sit down. He went over and sat down. And then there's this arrangement where, where Boaz kind of lays it out there and says, you know, Naomi's in this troubled spot. You're the kinsman redeemer next in line. You know, there's this land, right? Like he tries to entice the deal and this guy's getting really encouraged. He's like, yeah, I'll do it because Naomi's old and I don't have to worry about inheritance laws or whatever. And then, but yeah, he's in. And then Boaz is like, oh, but there's also this other person, Ruth, who's a Moabite and she's of childbearing years. (laughs) And so this other dude, it seems like the wheels are turning and he's thinking, I have my own kids to worry about. I'm out. (laughs) You know, if I have to take this woman as a wife and part of my kinsman redeemer role is to continue her line of her um dead husband um then that's going to water down my own inheritance and so yeah i'm out so there's this whole thing and then like this would actually make a really great movie it probably is a movie it's probably like a francine rivers novel or something um she has a new movie coming out i know i'm looking forward to seeing that movie yeah um so maybe she'll write a book. Maybe she did write a book about this and we'll have to look for it. Um, so they get the 10 elders to come together. Like, this is really weird. Um, this is the part to me. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when we do weddings, we have to say, you know, if anyone has any reason why, whatever, 
you know, yeah, it used to be like you had to publish. Yeah. It used to be, you had to like publish something in the, like, and this seems like a formality, but mm-hmm. you're basically checking with the community to make sure everything is on the up and up. Right? Like it's a <laughs> legitimate thing. And when I've done it, I actually pause and I wait, right? Like I'm not just saying lines and going on to the next thing because if someone knows of something or whatever, like we have to respect that. Yeah. You know, my dad did a wedding one time and somebody actually said, I got a problem with this. And I've heard of those happening. He pulled the woman to the side to the side and was like, What's your problem? And he was like she was like, I just don't like the grin. <laughs> she came down and was like, Not not a good enough excuse. <laughs> but it's yeah, happening. If- it is always a little bit awkward, but I do understand it. And I try to talk to my brides and grooms about this. The reason this is in there is because not only are you joining together, but we're asking all the people, the next line, you know, after they commit themselves to each other is, will you all the people in this room commit to caring for them and loving them? And everyone says really loud, we will. So having the community involved in that is super important. I mean, my mom tells the story when she was getting married in the Episcopal church and you had to like put it in the bulletin for five Sundays in a row, you know, or whatever. It seems like a lot, but you know, and I'm sorry, some of those traditions are gone because there is this beautiful aspect of bringing the communion community into your life, you know, and asking them to support you just like we do with our baptisms, just like we do with funerals, just like we do with Eucharist. You know, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, all these things that we do in worship every week are to commit to who we are, but also to have commit to a church family and a community around us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you used to have to, like, publish an announcement, not so people would know to show up for a party, but so that the community knows. It's like when you drive by and, like, there's construction going on and there's a notice of um, property change that the city council has to what it's. We as the community need to know that a gas station is going in here. And if we have problems, we can talk about it. We as a community need to know that this couple is committing to one another. And if we have problems, we can talk about it. Right. Um, we do that at ordinations, right? Like I was sweating. Oh, yeah. when the bishop said, if anyone knows why this person, cause I'm like, I have high school buddies out there. Yeah. I hope they're Somebody's quiet. Gonna stand up and be like, uh-huh. I don't know about that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, we have all this, we have the 10 elders from the community. And so, because this is a community thing and, you know, yes, there's property laws at play, but it's also right. They're carrying on some dead guy's name. And so that's a community aspect, right? Um, this guy's name will live on in the community. It actually doesn't because his name gets stripped by the end of the the chapter. So does Ruth's spoiler alert. We can talk about that. Um, but yeah, there's all this kind of formality that goes into it. But then finally, everything happens. And then, oh, and the one thing also, like, maybe we should do this um, when we sign contracts now. But you apparently used to give each other one of your sandals. Um, and so, yeah, right. Like the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So I guess like instead of signing your name, you're like, here's my sandal. Next time I see you, I'm bringing you one of my sandals, so you can always. No, that's okay. No, because I got like 50 sandals. You know, I have two kids. I my sandals too. <laughs> there are two kids that live in my house. I don't know how we have so many flip flops and sandals. It's because you live in Texas. Um, you need flip flops a lot. 
Well, okay. I want to talk about something that you, you mentioned, um, because we, and we've mentioned this, you know, God's name is not in this book, you know, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But as we move through the story, you brought up the most beautiful word. One of my favorite words, actually, um, redemption, right? That's really what happens in this chapter is after Boaz kind of goes through all this legality and they get together and they get married. This really is a redemption story, right? And for me, and I think for you, Boaz is the hands and feet of God in this story, right? Boaz is not saving them, but is working with them and through them to feel God's love and and redemption and power um, and unfailing and steadfast love, as Joel talked about last week. And I think that's so, that redemption is so important. I think about my life right now, and there's a couple of people that I feel like I really need to do some redemption with. You know, I need to really look through and think about where is God in this? Why are we irritated with one another? Why are we this or that? You know, we all have those. I mean, there's not a person listening that isn't. And I think Boaz is such a central character in the entire book of the Bible of someone who is tender and compassionate. And it makes sense that he is in the lineage to the most important person to us, which is Jesus, um, who also had that tenderness and that love and that caring. What do you think? Yeah. So when we start this off, like the first three chapters, this is a story about redeeming Naomi, right? Like it starts off, Naomi is a bitter old woman, which sounds like a stereotype and it is, but she literally calls herself a bitter old woman. Um, so I don't feel bad saying that. And she has reason to feel that way. Yeah, she has reason to be. She's not just like, she's not a bitter old woman. Like I'm a bitter old man just because I'm cranky. She actually has legitimate reason. And like her friends wrestle with this and she's like pushing her friends away. She's pushing her family away, right? Her daughters-in-law and one of them sticks with her. And there's this beautiful story of redeeming Ruth. I mean, redeeming Naomi through Ruth's love, right? Um, and through Boaz's love and willingness. But then here in chapter four, it takes a turn, right? And when this was written thousands of years ago, right, the language that's in here, it was about Ruth and about the lineage there and Naomi and Boaz. But as we read back to it, we see this is a fulcrum point, right? Like this isn't a story about redeeming Naomi. This is a story about redeeming the world. Right. Right. Because we move on to 411, right? Mm-hmm. And all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So it starts off that one verse. This puts Ruth and Boaz and Naomi in the line of the ancestors of the patriarchs and matriarchs, right, who built the house of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in its own context, this was hugely important because it carried on that tradition. But then... 11 goes on and says, may you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Right. Spoiler alert. There. Um, right. Um, you know, that the name in Bethlehem can, that's David too. Right. I guess. 
Mm-hmm. But we read that on, as Dr. Tony says, on the other side of Jesus, and we can't help but read a name in Bethlehem as the one who the wise man followed the star to go see. Absolutely. And so as we're, right, this is an epiphany, right? Um, when we read this, we see Jesus Christ present in this text. And so this story goes from being the redemption of Naomi and Ruth to the redemption of the world. And it shows that, you know, a couple things that I get from this. No story is beyond redemption, right? Naomi's story is not beyond redemption. Humanity's story is not beyond redemption. My story, right? Like this is a great comfort to me right now. This story is not beyond redemption. Um, And the healing and the wholeness and the restoration that happens in my story is also something that impacts God's story beyond, right? And so like when I pray that like, I can find hope or that I can find healing. It's not just so that like Alan can feel better, right? That's part of it. That's a huge part of it. But it's also because like, I trust that God is going to use that or like with you, like if there is hope and healing that you need, it's not just so that like, you're not sad anymore or whoever, like if you're listening out there and you're going through this time where like you need hope and restoration, if and when God provides that, it's not just for you, it's for the whole world. And like, we get to share that. Yeah. And we you see know, that here because a name is going to be great in Bethlehem because Boaz did what he did, because Ruth did what she did. And because Naomi's story was redeemed. You know, one of the things that there's many things I love about Alan, but one of the things I love about Alan is whenever he's telling me something like over text, he always ends it with, but there is hope. And I know that God put that in you and that you believe that to your core. And I I believe it to my core too. And I think it's so important to remind ourselves of that, but also to remind other people of that as people of faith, as people of believers of Jesus Christ, that hope never leaves, right? Whether it's something that you can see, like, you know, there's hope, like you feel it, you can touch it, you know, or if it's just in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. Um, and I think that Boaz really gives us that and Naomi and Ruth. I mean, because when you go right to the next, you see the hope, right? Naomi holding her grandchild, take, taking care of him, loving him, nurturing him. Um, so yes, the story works out perfectly, which is not always how it is in life, right? But they had to go through a hell of a lot to get there, you know, and there was a lot of ups and downs in that, you know, and even if the story ends in death, right, the good news is because we're on the other side of it, that's not sad anymore. That's not the worst thing that could happen. In fact, it's the most certain thing that could happen. And the good news is, is we know we're going to Jesus. We know we're going to heaven to that place that can never, that is full of hope. And I, you know, I just, I love that about you, Alan. And I encourage other people to do that, like to remember there is hope. There is, that is always there. It's essential to who we are as human beings, but most importantly, as Christians, you know? I mean, I think about like, if we had the prequel to Ruth, right, there's going to be a story that doesn't end the way they want it to, right? You're going to have Ruth and Orpha and Naomi, like praying over their husbands who are sick. Right. And if we're writing the end of the story, these husbands are going to get well and all that's going to go on. But that story ends with two dead guys. 
Yeah. Right. But God's story continues. They don't know what it's going to look like. There's a, they have to leave their country. They have to leave all of this. Like they have to go through some hard crap being faithful, not knowing what it looks like on the other side. Yeah. Uh, what? And so like we have even in here a story that didn't end the way it wanted to. I've prayed for people who've died. Yeah. Right. I've prayed for healing for people for whom that healing didn't happen the way I wanted it. But that's kind of what happens when we try to be the authors of the story. Well, do you think it's okay to pray for healing, even if we know that that healing's not going to happen? I think it is. I did that yesterday, you know, with someone. And in my mind, I keep wanting to pray for that, you know, um, because that's that hope that that resonates within me. But I also know that if it doesn't end the way that I want it to, like I said earlier, you know, there's no fear in going to Jesus Christ, you know, and the yeah. older I get and the more faithful I become, I'm less and less afraid of, of death and hard things and sadness. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't feel the emotions, but I, I just credit that to my relationship with God, you know, that God is my best bud in all of this, you know, and then all the people that are surround me who, um, are those hands and feet like Boaz was. Yeah. You know, it's really beautiful in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, we obviously pray for things that we rationally know probably won't happen, right? You know, someone with stage four cancer, probably not going to get better, um, mm-hmm. especially when treatment has declined. Um, but we can still pray for healing, right? Because miracles happen. I believe, I believe, I won't speak for you. I believe miracles can happen and God can do anything. Families can be restored. Health can be all of it, like with a snap of a finger. But we also have lived long enough to know that healing maybe will look like something else because that's what resurrection is. Right. Um, Because like our whole story only happened because a guy died. If I'm writing the story, right, I want Jesus to come down off of the cross and I want Jesus to kick butt. And I want to do all the things that the people in the Bible wanted Jesus to do that I'm not the author of the story. And so God used this death when all the disciples fled and everyone thought the story was over to say, actually, there's a different story that has been going on this whole time. And so that's, you know, when we need someone like Boaz in our life, someone to help point us to the hope, someone to help point us to the fact that like, yeah, that chapter's done, whatever it is, like this thing is over. But like, God's in the business of turning pages and there's a new story that we get to help write that God is already out ahead of us writing. And yeah, I mean, that's like our only hope as Christians is that God can turn the page. Absolutely. And God does turn the page to end Ruth, right? Um, I mean, God uses Ruth and Boaz and Naomi to start this lineage to so their son that they get that they give birth to is Obad and Obad was the father of Jesse who's the father of David right and we all know and we will get to know even more so in the chapters that follow um how important David was and also that lineage link to Jesus um and so i um you know sometimes i've heard people say like that's why the book of Ruth is there is to just put the lineage together. But I don't think that's true at all. And I think we've discovered that over the last um, several weeks, that there's so much more 
to that. And it's not just about heritage or telling a story to make it all make the scriptures make sense. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a narrative use of this as it does do that, but they could have easily done that with just something clean and simple. This is not, I mean, this is the definition of messy, right? And we've all been in situations that are messy and we figure out, we wonder if the trouble is worth it, right? Obviously the trouble here was worth it because Naomi and Ruth are restored and redeemed. Um, the family line of Jesus is restored and redeemed. And so, um, and we also get glimpses of God's character through the messiness, right? Last night, um, I did a short reflection at our six o'clock service. Um, you know, the reading was the baptism. And I talk about, you know, that the reading last night starts off with people had expectations, right? All these people were coming out to John because they were waiting to see miracles. They were waiting to see whatever. Uh, and we all have expectations about what redemption looks like, about what hope looks like, about what the Messiah looks like. The first thing Jesus did, like to announce I'm the guy, is he got into the muddy water. Yeah. Right. And so he got into the book of Ruth and then he prayed. Right. And so like in this, which we read yesterday, um, that was where I kind of concentrated, you know, and what an example of that. Yeah. Get in the muddy water. So this where Ruth and Naomi's lives are complicated and Boaz like willingly dives into this mess. Right. This is a sign where we see a characteristic of God, where God's very nature is to dive into the mess with us. Yeah. What an awesome God. Thank you, God, for that, to be able to get in the mess with us. Um, What a gift. Well, listeners, thank you for being a part of going through the book of Ruth with us. I've enjoyed it, Alan. It's been really good for me. Um, And Samuel will be coming up um, soon. But but before we get to Samuel, we're going to have a conversation about scripture in general um, next week. And that is going to be with my new bishop, the bishop-elect, Daniel Richards. I'm really excited about Daniel joining us and um, what his thoughts are about scripture and just being on the podcast. So that'll be great. Um, Listeners, remember, as always, that we love you, but most importantly, God does. 